Welcome back to another episode of What Happens at Work, where we hear firsthand employee experiences and break them down with experts to uncover what actually happens at work. I'm Amy Frampton, host and head of marketing at Bamboo HR. Today we hear about a unique decision for a manager, an employee, and a company. While this situation is unlike others we've heard so far, there are certain themes we see throughout the whole show. The importance of listening to your employees, the need for recognition, and the way that careers are more fluid than ever before. It's a story that lives in the gray rather than the black or the white. Here's Alex. I have been a paramedic for probably a little over 10 years now. And knowing that I wanted to get married and start a family, I knew that the 24-hour shifts was not something that I really wanted to do for a long time. Luckily, around the time Alex started searching for other options, a local doctor reached out to her. He was starting a new urgent care facility and looking for someone with exactly her expertise. I became the medical assistant slash paramedic for the urgent care facility, and that opened in late 2018. And I feel like the girls and I definitely embraced the culture that was put in place in the beginning, and we just helped it grow and thrive because we really took pride in being the clinic in town that people trusted because we actually care. And then January 2019, the partners asked me if I wanted to manage the facility. So I was shocked and honored. And I was like, sure, of course, I'd love to, having no managerial experience. So I didn't know what I was getting into, but I was definitely up for the challenge. I'm just that kind of person. Like, I can do this. And I'm pretty confident in myself. And then 2020 rolled around and we had been in business for a little over a year. This kind of stopped us in our tracks and we were like, how are we going to get gloves? What did I do? I clocked out and went straight to Walmart and I went to the garden section and bought my whole staff in 95 garden masks, like what you would wear for mowing, because I was like, well, we may or may not need these, but they're kind of flying off the shelves because people are getting a little panicky. During COVID, it was such a hard time and there was burnout. I'm not going to lie. We all experienced it. But the beauty in it is that we were all going through the same thing together. Most of us that were working there were the OG crew. Like we had been there from the beginning and the, the rules of the game were changing every single day. So it was rough, but we really leaned hard into each other. You cling to your coworkers because they know exactly what you're going through and what your day-to-day -day looks like. So I think that brought us closer together. So our bosses have always said that from the beginning. Talk to your coworkers. If you're having something hard going on or if you're just having a crack day or something, like lean into your coworkers. They really cared about us as employees and staff, that they would take time out of their day to say something nice to us or give us a little tip or trick or a pointer. Random acts of kindness, like we got DoorDash a box of hot cookies, like warm chocolate chip cookies. It came in this pizza box. Wow. I know one of my coworkers literally started crying because she was like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. Warm cookies and milk. It came with milk. I mean, it was crazy. It was just such a spirit booster. When you're just in the medical field during COVID, you are head to toe covered up except for maybe your neck <laughs> in some sort of protective gear. And somebody sends you hot chocolate chip cookies. 
And it's your boss. So several months into COVID, one of my bosses came to me and said, we have a really difficult decision to make because everybody kind of took a hit when COVID started. Things shut down and everybody was told to stay inside. You know, our business really kind of tanked there for a little bit. So he said, hey, we've got a decision to make here. Either you can take 10 weeks off family medical leave because I know that you don't have childcare and take a little bit of a pay cut. It was actually quite a big pay cut. I would make a third of what I would make or you can choose someone to fire. And I was like, I have to make this decision. And he was like, yeah, and we need to make it pretty quick because we're nearing the beginning of next month and we've got to make some cuts. I called my husband and I think I called my mom and I just cried. And I was like, what am I supposed to do? I talked it over with my husband. Can we stay afloat with one third of my pay? And he said, this is probably a blessing in disguise. I knew in the back of my mind exactly what I needed to do. And that was to not put any of the girls in that position. We were a staff of like eight. So picking one of the other girls to fire was just not an option that I wanted to to take or a decision that I wanted to take because I knew them all personally. We were such tight-knit group that I felt like I was the only one that would survive a pay cut like that. You know, I got so close to the girls in the beginning because I wasn't in the manager role. So I started out for the first couple of months just one of them, but I knew that in my next job, I didn't want to make friends first. <laughs> It was a harder decision for me to make because I did know the girls personally. But on the flip side, it was easier for me to make that decision because I knew the girls personally. I knew what their home lives looked like. I knew what their bank accounts looked like. But if I were to be put in a manager position right off the bat, again, I probably wouldn't make friends because it does put you in a, a bit of a difficult place. So I made the decision to step out of the company for 10 weeks and let things just kind of play out. After the 10 weeks, I had delegated my tasks and my day-to-day -day so well that my position had more or less been dissolved. But what that means is that the girls stepped up to the plate. They were able to grow. I think that they gave me that decision instead of making it themselves because they knew that I knew the business on the inside more than they did. I feel like if they would have just chosen someone like Eeny, Meeny, Miny, Mo, You've Gotta Go, it would not have gone over very well. They trusted me with a lot of stuff, everything. I mean, this was their baby and they just kind of gave it to me and said, we trust you, make it work. I feel like they gave me that decision to make because they knew that I was the right person to make that decision. Alex's story made me feel a lot. For Alex, for her colleagues, for her managers. It's a challenging, complex position they are all in. And while her story is unique, she is not alone as a manager and employee who was faced with a seemingly impossible decision. I'm delighted to speak now with Deborah Corey. Deborah spent over 20 years in HR working for all different kinds of companies. Over the past three years, she's written five books, including Build It, the Rebel Playbook for World-Class Employee Engagement. So we've all just listened to Alex's story. I'd love to hear your first reaction. 
My first reaction was I thought it was interesting and refreshing in how she saw that her needs were changing, which we're all been going through right now. So she realized that if I want to be able to continue to work and continue to do what I want to do at home, I need to change my job. And I, I loved how she just jumped right into things that she had never done before. I thought she was very brave with that. You know, we've talked in, in another podcast about kind of the need to pivot when sometimes you just need to do that. And I think culturally it's much more accepted than it used to be. But her her management chain or her leaders really asked her to do this very quickly. Do you think that's a fair ask? Do you think that that's um, something she should have or could have pushed back on? No, I think it was good. I think to some extent they did throw her in the deep end. And it could have just been the time also. During COVID, we were all in the deep end. But I sort of feel like, and I've made this mistake the first time I was a manager, not having some of the, the development and training that I needed. You know, as someone in HR and someone who's passionate about learning and development, I just wish someone had been there to help her a little bit along the way. So I think it's good that they took a chance on her because they, they saw her potential. I love what you said, because I think more and more it's acceptable to try new things. I love hearing stories of companies where they let you go off on those limbs and try different things. My career has been a bit of a zigzag, for sure. And I've been asked a lot about it, and not only interviews, but by people I mentor or who work for me, hey, does this, does this hold you back? And my response is always, hey, there's nothing wrong with following a pathway. There's a lot of learning in that sort of growth. What do you think, Deborah, about this decision for her and for the business? I think it was great that they gave her that ownership because too often what I've seen is organizations just force you to do it as a leader and they don't make you a part of it. I think the thing that I found very frustrating is that it was so black and white. It's either you take a pay cut or you let someone go. And I'm absolutely passionate about looking at things in lots of different ways. And there could have been different options that, that they would have in it. I agree. It's, it feels like almost not two false choices, but the dichotomy felt wrong. I, I, I think that there's a lot of, of opportunity for, for an in-between. And it feels like if it had been a discussion that they were having versus an ultimatum, that that would have been a lot better for her and long-term better for the business. Yeah. And I love what you say about discussion, because again, I think that's one of the mistakes we make is we just jump right in without having those discussions with our people. I did an ebook during the pandemic and I interviewed a, a company called Student Maids and they, like many other organizations during the pandemic, were challenged financially. And they knew that they weren't getting their people out there cleaning all the time, but they all as a company had a discussion. And as a company, they decided how could they support each other? If someone was going and living with their parents, they might be able to be okay not being paid for a couple of months. Whereas someone else was living in an apartment by themselves, money was more important. And it's exactly what you said. It was a discussion and together they came up with it. It wasn't just black or white, one thing or the other. And I think that's an important point for all of us to keep in mind. How can you have more of those fluid discussions, fluid decision-making? I think in the past, I don't think this is totally gone, but there was a, a feeling that leaders had to make all the decisions and then they would roll that out to the organization, right? And in some cases that might need to happen. In our office at Bamboo, we shut our office down because of, of the pandemic and we asked everyone to work from home. That was a decision we had to make. But in so many cases, it can be a discussion with the impacted folks to hear what they think. I feel like there's a, a middle path that takes whole lives into consideration. So one of the things that Alex said was, I don't know that I'll become friends with coworkers like I did. What's your thought on that? I thought it was interesting because 
she said she didn't want to be friends, but then she went on and talked a little bit about what friendship meant. You know, the idea of understanding what's important to my people and understanding what's going on in their lives and how I can support them. So my thoughts on that is, as a leader, that's not being a friend, that's being a leader. So I'd hate to think that she would lose that humanity part of what made her so special. So yes, I think you have to have some type of separation when you're a leader. One of the things that I find so refreshing in management and leaders these days is that it's seen as a part of your job to know your whole person, not just that person when they walk in the door. Yeah, I think there's an expectation that you care and understand your people. And, and I, I think that's a great thing. And I think it's a change over the last 10 or 20 years for sure. I wanted to say one more thing about the whole concept of, of being a friend. And I learned this from one of my CEOs once, and it was really one of those aha moments because I was in a situation where I had to make a really difficult HR decision about taking something away from people. And he said, at the end of the day, you're not here to be their friend. You're here to do what's right for them and right for the business. As long as I explained it in an open and honest way, it was the right thing. And I think sometimes as leaders, sometimes we don't want to upset people and we do things that ultimately might not be the right thing for them. I love that. I'd love to hear a little bit more about, you know, your work on recognition, rewards, culture, and, and also share with us a little bit about being rebellious. Well, it's absolutely wonderful. I wrote a book on engagement, and it's about this concept of the engagement bridge, which is basically all the things that we have in our toolkit to engage our people. What are all the different things? And little by little, I'm really just being a rebel in that I'm questioning and challenging the status quo on all these different things. So each book that I write is on a different element of the engagement bridge. And then my most recent book was on recognition. What are the things that people like me have been doing wrong? And what are the things that we need to do to meet the changing needs of our people? It sounds to me a little bit like being rebellious is being curious. Absolutely. And actually, when I do talks about being a rebel, that's three things I talk about. And the first one is being curious. And then the second one is about doing things in your own way, because too often we just replicate what other people are doing. And then the last part about it being a rebel is is really the idea of being brave and reminding yourself while you're doing it, because being a rebel isn't easy. People are going to say, you know, oh, just do it the way you did it before or that doesn't make sense. But if we keep reminding ourselves, you know, we're doing it because we want to support the well-being of our people. I like the idea of asking why, you know, because it takes us to a principle-based versus what's been done before. That's how organizations change for the better. Yeah, especially since the why has changed for everyone. We talk about so many people are leaving organizations and it's probably because their why has changed. So it's not necessarily that every organization are doing things wrong. It's just people are reevaluating, thinking about what's important to them now and their why might have changed. And the organization might not be right for them, or the organization hasn't moved quickly enough to change how they do things to align with the person's why. I love that. So we talked about being rebellious. I'd love to hear a story or two about examples of that. Rebels come in different sizes and shapes. And I think that that's really important to understand. So I remember where I wrote one of my books and somebody wrote on social media, you know, you call this a rebel? Because this one company, it was a very traditional company, and they had ice cream trucks come to their office and give everybody free ice cream. And they're like, that's not rebellious to have an ice cream truck. Well, at that company, it was. It wasn't something they had ever done before. It was something that they knew at the end of the day would motivate and make their people feel valued. So I always use that as an example of sometimes it's as simple 
as an ice cream truck. To me, some of my other really favorite stories are companies that really, really turn things on their head and change things. Heineken's a great example. They used to have a program where about 4% of their people were recognized through their annual program. And they turned it all upside down. They spent the same amount of money, but they made it so that everybody in the organization could be recognized. So smaller awards, a lot of it non-financial, and it ended up that 95% of people were recognized in one way or another. And then I think the last example, I interviewed a company, um, Reward Gateway, and they really are challenging their benefit programs. And they're taking a step back and thinking about in this new world, how do people need our support? Like they put in a domestic violence benefit program, which is not a happy thing, but it's a problem out there in the world. They did something around family leave. They did something for menopause support. They're really looking at where are the different times that the people really need benefits. So I love rebels who are really just writing things for the first time to meet the changing need. And it's, it's really about making that impact, right? So if it's about a little bit of Simon with an ice cream truck at a new company or giving people support in those life moments that they need, that, that feels rebellious to me. It's absolutely that. It's all about that impact. And also, how can you impact the most people? You know, I've looked at benefit programs, for example, where you might have these great benefit programs that reach 10% of your people. What are you doing for the rest of the 90%? So, Deborah, there's a lot of conversation about the great resignation right now with people changing and pivoting. And at Bamboo HR, we've been trying to call it the great embrace because sometimes people are moving to things, either staying and it's great, or moving to things that are better. I'd love to hear your thoughts on, as a manager HR, how do we best understand people's why? And how do we support them through those changes? I love the term that you use. And whether we've just been through the pandemic or we're going through a recession or whatever it is, it's really understanding, as you said, our people's why. So what is motivating them right now? So if you have someone right now and their why is, I've always wanted to be in a job where I do A, B, and C, and I'm just not getting that out of the job. My first choice is to see if there's some way to do it in the organization. And if it's not right to stay in the company, at the end of the day, in a lot of businesses, your employees are your customers. So what are you doing to support that full relationship? Or often I've had people who come back to me. What can you do to create that ongoing relationship with them? Lives are long and relationships are long with your company. And so I think keeping that perspective, it is so hard because if you have a great person in a role, you want to hold on tight. But remembering and getting that perspective is, is something that I think helps us have people get to live their why. Another thing that you and I, I think, have in common is thinking a little bit about recognition and acknowledgement and how that affects retention. I know you've worked with some great companies on, on that kind of work. 65% of people have said they haven't been recognized in the last year. Forget about the last week, the last month. That means almost seven out of 10 people are walking around with not having anyone make them feel appreciated and valued. That's just ridiculous. And then a more recent statistic relating to the whole people leaving is 75% of people when asked what were the main drivers of why you left, 75% of them said it was a lack of appreciation. So to me, it's one of those things, it's not that hard to change it. Yes, there's some things that cost a lot of money, but if we can just make sure that everybody knows those two statistics and they make sure that they change it with their people, whether you're a manager or a colleague, what are you doing to make sure that everybody you work with 
feels valued. It can be as simple as a thank you, which costs absolutely nothing. I think the world would be a better place. I think that is so true. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money. I think it can be a big moment. But I, I think it was my mom who taught me this. I know it was. But I'm a thank you note writer. Just a quick thank you means so much. Yes, the thank you. But even simple things like how can you show someone that you value them by, I don't know, giving them a stretch assignment, sending them to a meeting on your behalf. Again, there's so many lovely small things that we can do in our own unique way to make sure that people feel appreciated, not just once a year, but in the moment when they do things where they should be appreciated. Yeah, I think paying attention is a way to show someone feel appreciated. I've had bosses that are always on their phones or on chat. You know, when you're presenting this thing you've worked on for weeks and they're not listening and you know they're not listening. I think being present is a, is a great gift and, and a way to think about that. HRs shouldn't be the only one thinking about this for sure. How do you, though, coach your former HR peers, you know, on how they should be participating there? It's all about helping managers understand their responsibility. There's a 70% differential in employee engagement because of managers. You know, you might think that me and HR, I own it, but at the end of the day, you own it. 60-something percent of people leave their managers, not the company. 60 or 70% of people would rather work for a stranger or a robot than their boss. So it's really just hitting managers between the eyes because I think a lot of people don't realize that it's their responsibility. And I think it starts with awareness. It is your responsibility. And then it's not just that. You need to then give them the tools and the support. So if you're going to ask managers and leaders to be more people-centric, which I know everybody is talking about, what are we doing to make sure they understand how to do it effectively? And also, what are we doing to make sure they have the time to do it? Because we know how busy everyone is. If all of a sudden you start piling all these people responsibilities, what are you doing to make sure that they have the time to do that? My husband's an amazing senior manager and he works from home most of the time. So I hear him and he is on the phone so much of his time just doing one-to-ones with his people, supporting them and everything like that. I said to him, how can you do that? He said, it's my priority. I know if I support them, the technical work will get done because I'm empowering them and supporting them to be their best to do that side of the work. After this conversation, I want to get off the phone and talk to all of my team. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm not only going to go talk to all my team members today, I'm also going to continue to think about ways to acknowledge my team, whether it's through stretch projects or just getting to know them. As a manager, as a friend, it's my responsibility to take care of my team in this way. I'll keep with me the ways in which Alex moved through her transitions with confidence, kindness, and determination, balancing not only what would work best for her, but what would work best for her colleagues and friends. Thanks for joining us for another episode of What Happens at Work. If you haven't heard them yet, go back and check out other episodes. We have a whole season packed with surprising stories and insightful conversations. And while you're at it, hit the subscribe button and leave us a review to let us know what you would like to see in the future. Big thanks to Alex for sharing her story and to Deborah Corey for her expertise. You can learn more about Deborah at debcohr.com. Thanks to our Bamboo HR team, Sweetfish Media, and our producer, Alana Nevins. You can learn more about Bamboo HR at bamboohr.com. And if you want more from Bamboo, check the episode on how better culture leads to better employee experiences on the ERA podcast.